We are back, baby. We are back. We are back. You are looking live. We get after it. You know, we jabber jaw, we go tit for tat, we have our little differences. Let's get funky like a monkey. And here we go. Hello and welcome to the Moose and Ruins podcast. This episode 287 of the pod alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso for one last ride. Uh, it's sad, but we will not lament. There is plenty to get to. Uh, I think sadder than the podcast coming to an end. Is, oh, uh, it's not even era, close. An era of Blackhawk hockey coming to an end. Wait, wait, wait. It's not even close. You're no already, offense you're already, to you. I'm, I, it's not even close so much we more still have a, We still have one last podcast to do. You're already over it, it sounds like. Well, we're still doing this podcast. Patrick Kane is already out of a Blackhawks uniform. So that's fair. I maybe at the assume. end, talk to me later. But this is—it's been a rough couple of days. Yeah, it, it, it truly has been a weird uh, experience to watch the most electrifying player in the history of your franchise be dealt for next to nothing. And I understand the situation; it's not lost on me. Um, and I hope nothing but success for Patrick Kane and for the Rangers. Like I'm, I'm a Rangers fan now, like for yeah. the rest of the season or until the Blackhawks are competitive again, or, I mean, you know, it is a loan. So who knows where he's playing next year, but whatever, like I'm, I'm pulling for 88. I'm pulling for the blue shirts. Um, I'm, I'm already looking at tickets to make my way to MSG to pay my respects in a bright red 88 Jersey. And hopefully mm. I don't get punched in the face. I don't know why I would, but uh, no. let's, let's start right there, Matt. It's, it is the end of an era. It is the end of the. Uh, it, it was a. I've been asked the question a couple times throughout this process because this trade was weeks in the making. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could keep Kane or Taze, and I said that was never it. You lose one and you lose it. It was always a sentence. Kane and yeah. Taze. It. Kane and Taze was one word in Chicago for fifteen years, and we were so lucky that it was. So I mean, just. Take me through your, uh, I guess, emotional upheaval that you've been through here over the last couple couple weeks. Kane, Kane is tougher to lose, if we're being totally honest. I don't think that would come as a shock to most people because, you know, obviously Jonathan Taves is the captain. He's, you know, the was the youngest captain and still is the youngest captain in franchise history, all that. He was, you know, the golden boy and rightfully so, and he did everything the right way, but like, he started to taper off a little bit more towards the end and he knew he would because the way he played hockey, his bad back, like you knew that game would start to fall off. And then he had the year off with COVID, which, you know, just kind of weird situations all around. And you kind of got, I don't want to say accustomed to him not being around the team as much anymore, but like you kind of got a preview of what that looked like. Mm -hmm. The one constant through all 16 years with the exception of, you know, the end of 2015 where Kane had to go on long-term injury injured reserve for a few months, like, Patrick Kane was the constant. Not only was Patrick Kane the constant, like he was always the best player. Um, Taves is, is, no, that was actually had some coffee go down the wrong pipe. Um, (laughs) No, like Taves was, was great, but like his play has also started to taper off over the last couple of years. And like, even towards the end, like Kane wasn't probably going to get traded at, uh, at least a couple weeks ago. Cause the game, like, there were rumors about the hip not being all that well and that, you know, how healthy is he? And is he playing well enough for a team to want to give up or for the Rangers to really want to go with that up close against salary cap to get him? And the answer at that time was no. And then he went out and recorded the hat trick against Toronto. He got two more against Dallas and then went off against Vegas and was like, oh, wait, no, he's still Patrick Kane. So like 16 yeah. years later at age 34, 
on probably not a perfect tip, he's still one of the NHL's best players. And, you know, New York just got their star right winger. So I think that's what made it so difficult is like the other ones, every, every other one that's left sharp. Um, uh, luckily he got to come back. Taves is, I know technically still there, but this is probably going to be it for him. Keith Seabrook, all those guys, you saw the play taper off at the end. Like you saw them kind of losing it a little bit, losing a step. And I don't want like Brent Seabrook got a little bit sad to watch at times because he just didn't have it anymore. But like, Towards the end of all those guys' careers, you kind of be able, you were able to accept it because the on ice product was clearly not what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Patrick Kane still has the fastball. Patrick Kane, when he digs, when when he wants to, which he showed you the last three games in a Blackhawks uniform, he's still an elite winger. He's still one of the best players in the game today. So I think that's what still kind of hurt was that he's not going somewhere as a you know Patrick Sharp's that went to Dallas to be kind of a second, third line, left wing, you know, mentor to get a young group over. He's going somewhere because he's going to go play right wing on the other side of Artemi Panarin and be expected to be the best forward on a Rangers team in a cup run. That's why it still kind of stings. Yeah, I guess there wasn't – I understand your sting. I guess there wasn't as much sting in it for me because everyone's saying, oh, this is the the true end of the dynasty, true closing of an era and moving on. It, it's been over. Oh, it's know? been over for a while. It, it's, it's been over and, unf- and outlining why it's been over is, you know, all of those previous uh, Hosa and Seabrook and Dunks mm-hmm. and Sharp and all of these um, pillars of that dynasty being gone – a, a kudos to Kane and to Taze and to those who are still here and stuck around this long because this isn't the first trade deadline that we're talking about moving these guys. You know, mm-hmm. we've uh, we've been lucky enough to celebrate when we celebrated. We've been lucky enough to continue to watch them do what they do. But um, I really think it was time for both player and franchise. And while it does hurt, I I think it was. I'm already at the point where. I'm so glad that it gave me a few days to like reflect on all that he did accomplish because, you know, you think of it, you do enough in any game and they start to think of you as an idea and not as those moments. So like big picture idea, the parallel of the introduction of both Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze into Chicago sports market and the revival of that market, not just in the hockey space, but, what that did for the city, like it, it made Chicago a winner again. And that bled into what the Cubs were believing into and what the Bears maybe believed for a moment. Like it, it meant so much to the city. And I think that, I guess, just the parallel of having a player so electrifying bring you back to a game that you did not care. Like, let's not kid. 90% of the people at the parade, 90% of, the people at the games through the midst of the dynasty couldn't have cared a lick about Chicago Blackhawks no, hockey no. five years prior. Probably started watching in 09, honestly. So for, so for a player as electrifying as Patrick Kane, where I'm not necessarily, because I'm not like, a, I'm this is me, the third person, just yeah. the, the boneheaded Blackhawk fan who paid the 250 for the ticket to go be at the stadium to see them play. I'm not, sure what I'm watching in terms of high-level hockey, but I'm positive what I'm watching in Patrick Kane is special. I don't have to understand. I don't have to speak the language of hockey to know that what 88 is doing on the ice looks completely different than what everyone else is doing. So I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that for a player as talented and generational 
as Patrick Kane to be our reintroduction into the sport as a city. Like that's just not something that you get. That's not something that happens. That is such a luxury and a privilege. And I think these last couple of days have allowed me to like step back and not just look at 2010 game winner, 2015 mm-hmm. game six, 2015 Nashville. Like I, there, there's some moments that we're going to run through them here. It's allowed me to zoom out and look big picture, like what this man meant to a city and probably what this city meant to a man, because the youthful transgressions that he went through and the support that we gave him, like this was a relationship. So it does feel, it does feel um, like the end of a relationship, which is sometimes freeing. And I guess sometimes uh, a little bit heart wrenching and it can be both at the same time. So I've just appreciated this time to look back at Patrick Kane and what he meant to, you know, not just the moments, but to the city. Yeah. The way you describe seeing him on the ice and I'm similar to you, granted, I I, I probably watched the game of hockey a little bit closer because I grew up around it with my brothers, but I can't look at a, I I can watch a hockey game and generally know like what's going on, but I I have a tough time kind of putting it into words because it's very hard. It's kind of a hard game to to figure out the whole last shift thing or last, (laughs) that last change thing. (laughs) But like, when you watch Pat, there, there's certain guys that you watched on the ice that immediately you knew, like what, like you just said. All right, yeah, that guy's doing things that other guys just can't do. Patrick Kane was one of those guys. Marion Hosa was one of those guys. Like Artemi Panarin, now Kane's new line. And by the way, as much as it's going to hurt, I'm so excited to see those two oh, play awesome. again. I yeah. watched it. I was on YouTube, and I watched like a 2016 Kane and Panarin highlights. I forgot how freaking awesome those two are together and they're going to be on the same line tonight i actually might or may or may not have money on both of them to score a goal <laughs> Kane's plus 162 panarin's plus one or plus 220 that's a shocker to me spinorama um, assist incoming it's it's you know that play is going to be tried tonight whether or not they pull it off that is 110 going to be tried um i'm interested to see where this goes for kane in the future because I think at the beginning of the year when they traded to Brinkett and then when they then they let when they let Strom walk, those were kind of his last two like you know, those were his line mates last year and he had a very good year with him. There was some dissension between him and Kyle Davidson. He was a little bit upset and obviously Davidson had the route and I think both were probably right in being upset with each other. But then things kind of went on this year and I think some fences kind of started to get mended and it was where is Kane going to Kane's really only going to go to the Rangers. And then it was, well, the Rangers traded for Tarasenko. Is Kane going to stay? Then obviously ended up clearing the more room once Kane went off for, for those couple weeks. I'm interested to see what the off season holds for Patrick Kane. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't think he's necessarily going to come back here because that doesn't necessarily happen all that often, but I do think, and I heard a friend of the podcast, recurring guest Pat Boyle, talking about on the postgame show how, you know, if things go right for the Blackhawks the rest of this year and they get a Connor Bedard in the draft or they get an Adam Fantilli, that phone call is going to be made to Patrick Kane. And I'm going to be interested mm-hmm. to see where he wants to be because I, I think if you ask him, he'd probably rather keep going with the Rangers if things go well this year. But the Rangers are really right up against the salary cap and they're going to have some tough decisions to make and is committing – you know, five for 25 to a Patrick Kane that's going to be 35 years old worth it? Probably not for them. Um, I mean, they couldn't afford they couldn't afford yeah. Patrick Kane this year. I mean, we they had, had to take on half, and half of that half had to go. You had to, to get Arizona. a third to yeah. Arizona to afford to And also, them, also with, how, it, with how hockey yeah. salary cap hits work, that's not – like that's not 50% of 10 million. That's 50% of pr- like the prorated $10 million. So yeah. it's down to whatever, like four point whatever. And I was 
you know, when I was holding out hope that there would be a last second wrench thrown into it and Patrick Kane didn't get traded. Um, I was on the, like the Rangers cap breakdown on cap friendly and they are really right up against it. Not in a very good spot. So they better go ahead and win the cup this year. Um, I'm holding out hope that this isn't the last we've seen a Patrick Kane in a Blackhawks jersey. I would say it's it's a 75% chance or so it is. But if it really did truly come down to he's either going to stay with the Blackhawks or he wanted to play with the Rangers, um, I wouldn't quite write them off if the offseason goes well because I do think things ended on very good terms. While they might not have started this year on good terms, um, he loved playing for Luke Richardson, who's going to be here for a while. And he had nothing but good things to say about the way Kyle Davidson handled, you know, his trade down the end, essentially. I mean, it was, it was Kane's right because Kane um, had the no movement clause, but Davidson did right by him. He sent him where he wanted to go, took less than Patrick Kane was worth to put a franchise icon uh, where he wanted to be. And I think what you're starting to see now from a bigger level with the Blackhawks is their head coach is one that's going to be a desired one to play for their general manager doing right by Kane, doing right by other players this year, getting them into spots they wanted to be and, and getting picks back. You're going to see Chicago become a free agent destination. Not too far of the, not too far of the future. Um, yeah. I think especially if they can go get a top two pick in this year's draft, but I think you're going to see Chicago cocky make come back in the next couple of years. But yeah, it was tough. Like you said, um, it was nice to have this, basically all of last week. I think it was Saturday when he went home from the, from the road trip that you kind of knew like, all right, this is happening. Um, it was nice to have the couple days to let it process. But still when that official tweet hit from the Blackhawks, I think it was seven o'clock a couple nights ago. It was like, God damn it. Yeah. Um, I mean, say, say you're welcome to your, your favorite New York friend. Uh, that's, that's just uh a luxury that they now have that we do not, but yeah. talent wasted is a true shame. And and right now it did kind of feel like talent wasted with where we were at as, as a team. And you, you do offer reason for optimism here in the not too distant future, but I think it, it uh, requires some cleansing first. It can, requires wait, some uh, throwback. Can I do one, one more airing of grievance? Oh, oh what, what would, what would a final pod and a Patrick Kane farewell be with? I really hope. I really Nick hope I still Griffin. have the sounder. I still. I don't know if I do. If Matt, not, pretend well, you, know, I you go back. You find it. So for one it. last time, Matt, you're on the clock. I'm going to oh, wait, 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 wait. I hate to jump you there, okay. Matt. Is this also an airing of grievance, and then also hit your your Matt's hockey minute? We also. Ooh, have, but this, this is, is well. This is going to go longer than a minute. If I'm okay. ranting about the black, but yeah, let's call it a Matt's hockey. However, we're, the, we're checking long, all the boxes. A Matt's hockey, however the long I want. Um, Beautiful. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now. You're going to hear about it. You can't handle the truth. Boy, have you lost your mind, because I'll help you find it. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. I'm going to start by saying I, I don't want to – the off-ice stuff with, with Stan Bowman and that um, entire regime, they're, they're bad people. And what they did with, with the cover-up with Kyle Beach and all that and letting, letting everything – I don't want to get into that. I want to keep this strictly to hockey. But that was obviously awful, and then he's—I I just want everybody to know that that is firmly in my mind. I'm aware of that. That what I'm talking about here is strictly from a hockey standpoint. The way—I don't want to sound greedy because we got three cups in six seasons, 
But the way Stan Bowman and his front office wasted, just completely wasted the back halves of the prime of Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, to an extent Duncan Keith, Marion Hosa still had some very good hockey left in him. The, the fact that it got to this by the time Kane is age 34 is one of the most egregious mishandlings of a roster in sports. It's like when you hit it, like you talk about how hitting a parlay is hard and missing every leg on a parlay is just as difficult to do. Stan Bowman from about 2016 on missed on every single trade he made. It's like he missed on every single leg of his parlay trying to get this team back to where it could. Every roster decision he made towards the end really put this team into a bad spot and ended up being the wrong one. And you look at teams like Boston with Marshan, with Bergeron, uh, Chara's not there, but Chara was there forever. When did they ever have to, you know, completely reset and rebuild where they where did they have down years yeah but those down years still saw them make the playoffs sometimes when a playoff series when did Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin have to get you know whispered about trading and when do they have to when did the Penguins have to you know hit the reset button and rebuild never did they have some down years sure but in the back halves of those primes they won back-to-back Stanley Cups the, the the Capitals are selling off a few pieces now but Ovi and the Caps have been there forever they have not they've been in the playoffs every single year so the fact that Stan Bowman was gifted because he didn't he didn't draft these guys. He was gifted three top 100 NHL players of all time with a core of Brent Seabrook and Marion Hosa to go around him. And this is where we are at Patrick Kane's age 34 year 34 years old is absolutely egregious. It's one of the greatest mishandlings of a roster, not only in hockey history and sports history. And I hate him. I'll never forgive him for it. And that's that's my that's my grievance. I think that's very well put. I think that uh, it is, as you alluded to on the early side there, on the list of things that he got Way at the bottom. Totally Um, way at the bottom, but... Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm not even trying to make that point. I'm just trying to say, like, it doesn't matter whether it was in matters of life, in matters of humanity, in matters of team management. Um, It fell short, and it's why we are where we are right now as a franchise. There's... uh, there's there's no denying that. Let's get back to the positive here, Good maybe at now. least the celebration of life of Patrick Kane in a Blackhawks sweater. You, uh, earlier in the week when this sounded like it might happen, gave me the task of uh, assembling my top five favorite Patrick Kane moments. Yeah. Um, and then you just told me, like, you don't necessarily want to do that. So no, I know I, I said it doesn't have to be that. I didn't know if we wanted to open it up. Well, I'm, looking at, I'm looking at a list one through five here. Let's go. Pick it. All you, right. you start. You want to do snake Num- draft style? Number do do five. Yeah, but we're going to, I mean, we're going to draft a bunch of the same ones, I'm okay. sure. But okay. number five, simply put, not a hockey moment, but a moment of celebration. Chicago. That was just the yep. punctuation yep. to like, we're back. We're a champion. Yep. This guy is out of his mind. He is the embodiment of a city right now, drunk off his ass, celebrating our cup. Like, that was just the, like, we're here, we're the dudes, and we did were, it. Um, were you at that parade, too? I was at that parade. I was about 10, 20 people off the stage. We got there extremely early. Mm-hmm. I drank a bottle of DiSorono because oh, that's boy. all I could steal from <laughs> uh, from my parents' cabinet at the time. I drank a bottle of DiSorono in the heat and then oh, like God. was I was hung over by the time they got to the stage. Like we drank on the train down yeah. there, stood in the heat for like three hours until they got to the end of the parade route and then uh, watched Christopher Steeg rap or whatever happened from that I think point. What, I think like I was at the parade, too. That was awesome. But then you go back and you, you 
see clips, you know, whether it's on YouTube or highlights on the news and stuff. And they had that shot of Kane before he took the stage, like, like getting ready for his name to be called. He was leaning on like the black railing. Like you, you, can, <laughs> you, you see the look in his eye. And if you've been in college, you've seen that look on people's eye and it's, it's please don't throw up. Please it had don't been throw a couple up. Days. Please don't it had been throw a couple up. Days. Yeah. And my, I think my favorite part about the Chicago is how organic it was. Like he didn't uh-huh. plan that. He just didn't know what the hell he was going to say. So he was just like, Chicago, we're in Chicago. Yeah, They'll but like but he, Chicago. He also, I think, well, it's important and can't be lost. He said Chicago like he had been living in Chicago for thirty years. Yeah. Like it wasn't like a, it wasn't a kid from Buffalo saying. He Chicago. said Chicago like he's like, a thirty-four-year-old right winger. He is today. Exactly, like he uh, or a thirty-four-year-old union worker, like a pipe fitter. Like he said Chicago Even properly, better. and I think that that was in a way subconsciously the fact that like, all right. Not only are we here, he's also one of us now. So yep. uh, Chicago was my number five moment as I assembled my list. Mine is it actually comes in a loss and comes in a series loss to the Red Wings. But in 2009, when they made that, uh, you know, they beat Vancouver for the first time. They were yep. they were lower seed in the playoff. Or, no, they, they did have a home series, whatever. They were lower seed in the playoffs. Um, and it was their first year back, and it was just kind of like, oh, cool, they beat the Flames in the first round, kind of just expected them to then go lose to Vancouver, who was a team that was you know, going to make a cup run. Then they go beat Vancouver. Then they go to Detroit, and they're down 3-1 to one in Detroit, and you know, the Red Wings are up one nothing. That was a game Cristobal Huey absolutely stood on his head. There's a name I haven't said in a long time. But the Hawks were down like one nothing. you know, that final five minutes, and Kane took the puck down the right side, and it was one of the first – amazing spinorama goals i remember him scoring but pulls off a little spinorama in tight space just off the right of chris osgood and freaking roofs one right over his shoulder tucks it in the corner ties the game sends it to overtime and like they end up losing that game but they were playing a detroit red wings team that was a million times better than them that they had no business competing against and Patrick Kane just said, screw you, took the puck, did it himself, roofed it, sent the game to overtime. That's when I knew. You knew Patrick Kane was a special player. He, knew he, was gonna be, he won the Calder Trophy. He was very good. He had the, the moments in the Vancouver series. But that's when I kind of knew, like, all right, this guy's not afraid of anything. He's just a stone-cold killer, just on the road against that Detroit team who had won, you know, been to the Cup two, uh, was it two years in a row at that point, whatever it was. Yes, they uh... – No, that was, that was going to be their second. They had just won the Cup. They're defending Stanley Cup champions. Yeah, Hosa um, had been to the, yeah. the, the Hosa was, the, yeah. He was on the losing team back-to-back years. But uh, for Kane to do that on the road in a tough spot facing elimination to pull off that type of goal, I was like, all right, this guy's um, this guy's going to be a thing. We're going to be watching him for a while. Yeah, and like to the point of that I made earlier of like what the hell was what the hell did I just see? Yeah, it was. I'd never was seen someone do that in a Blackhawks uniform. I, I didn't know Blackhawks were capable of doing that. Yeah, and like they're gonna when when the Patrick Kane story is being written and all of the post career uh, accolades are being showered upon him, everyone's gonna talk about his hands. But like the way that the guy skated was different. Like when oh, he yeah. would get when when he would get up on his toes and like you said, tight space spinoramas. Like the things he could do with his feet were just like absolutely Insane. disgusting. Um, Love that moment. Uh, my number four, and now you're probably going to have some deeper cuts. Mine are championship and championship oh, no, unrelated. That, um, that's totally fine. Yeah, game six, Tampa 2015, uh, after doing nothing the entire series. Like, we were on him. Like, everybody was on him. 
to go assist and game winner, not game winner, but assist and nail in the coffin Mm -hmm. uh, to kind of round out that trio of championships when everyone's saying, oh, are they a dynasty? Is it over? Can they beat this Tampa team? And for him to, uh, after not doing a whole lot of anything for five games to be the storyline in game six. That was uh that's my number four moment. That was because the story was him and Stamkos were going side by side in that series. And, you know, they, I think they both had just okay playoffs leading up to it. And it was kind of like, Hey, whichever one of these two can get hot is probably going to yeah. be the team that wins the series. And Stamkos early on had the breakaway on Crawford. Crawford made an unbelievable save. And then, yeah, that I, that was, came across this highlight yesterday during my or two days ago during my period of mourning um Kane's patience on the right side he crosses the blue line holds on you talk about his ability to skate the ability to see the to see the play that's about to happen before just about anybody else to have the, the hockey knowledge he has to be able to like see the play develop with the puck like still keeping the puck still having that patience but to see how a play is going to develop and know exactly where to go with the puck he finds Duncan Keith and Keith obviously follows his shot the rest is history that is uh, that's even higher on my list that's that 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 moment um okay and that is the Kane's goal is the the one from Richards to make it two nothing I was fortunate enough to be in the building shout out my brother Tim who uh Gave me his ticket because him and his wife were out of town on their anniversary <laughs> trip. Really bad time to take a trip, Tim. Um, loudest I've ever heard, not just the United Center, loudest I've ever heard a building. It was, I mean, as you could probably imagine, you've been in that building for several loud moments. I've never heard the roof blow off a building quite like that one. So that was, yeah, that was pretty awesome. All right, that's my number four. Your number four? Oh, man, I got a lot. I'm going to go with that same playoffs in 2009. Uh, the hat trick against Luongo to to, uh, to ice the Canucks, and that was yep. Again, like you talk about the special moments, and all of them were Finally special. Over the hump, getting themselves kind of over that height. Get, they beat Calgary, like I said, in round one, but it was like, all right, that's probably it. Whatever we get here is bonus. But the Hawks had other plans. Kane had other plans, and I still remember I was in the in our seat, section two thirty four, with my brother. Uh, watching that third goal unfold and you saw Kane cross the blue line. You saw him kind of cut across the slot and everybody in the world knew that he was going to try and just roof a backhander from, from the slot over Luongo's shoulder. And then he did it like against the best goal. Granted Luongo did not have a good series, um, but against the best goalie in the world, when he knew it was coming, when everybody in the building knew it was coming to go ahead, take that backhander and just roof it over to the shoulder and put the Canucks out of their misery. And in that series, like, you just the killer instinct on the guy just never went away. It's always there. It's still there. Um, But the killer instinct in those big moments, um, I mean, it's for me, it's, it's Kane and it's Jordan. Like those are Michael Jordan. He knew wasn't really going to miss in those spots. Patrick Kane in those big spots for the Blackhawks. You just kind of knew he was going to do something, whether or not they scored was another thing, but he was going to put them in a position to get themselves back in a game and they were never out of it as long as 88 was dressed. And and I think that that was also maybe in those moments is when uh, Chelsea Dagger became. Yeah. Not just a rally cry. Not that. Yeah. That's when it became like torture to those on the other side Mm -hmm. of the, uh, on the other side of the box score. And um, no doubt that was one I was in looking back at my list, like not getting anything Vancouver on there. I feel like was a miss. So I'm glad that you got that one on there. Uh, my number three might even be on your list might be even higher is the, uh, hat trick in the LA 2013 mm-hmm. series. Um, 
again, just biggest possible moment of a season. I'm fully taking over. And in terms of our, our enemies, like I know it started with, I know it started with Vancouver. Then it sort of shifted to taking care of Detroit, which was obviously a a longer history Mm -hmm. there. Um, St. Louis had its moment as the team we hated, but LA, LA was the rivalry. For a while, seemed like because you know they got the one off of us, and it was kind of shoddy. Um, that was that was a big. Uh, while I respected LA more than those other teams I just mentioned, I hated them just as much. And for him to take over a game and put them out in the way that he did, uh, it, that was just something I won't forget. It's like that was the one. Like I know the Blues ended up getting, but the, the Blues got the Hawks kind of on their back end. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, of their run, and that was you know the Hawks were never the same team after that 2015 Cup. You talk about the Canucks, same like the Canucks got the Hawks in 20 what was it uh, 2011, the year after they won the Cup, when the Hawks snuck into the playoffs as an eight seed, and even that like the, the Canucks were a ten times better team than the Hawks were. The Hawks still found themselves coming back from down three nothing, forced Game Seven overtime, ended up losing there. The Kings, uh, I'm with you. The Kings were the team that was like the only the only team throughout this run that I ever felt was like actually on the Blackhawks level. Yeah. You, you, saw, them as a, you saw them as a peer. You know? They were a threat. They were, they were not a step below. They were on the Blackhawks level. They were that good. They were, you know, they had multiple cups during that run too. Um, still have nightmares about 2014 sitting in the same, very same seats with my brother and that's <laughs> not going off Nick Letty's Jersey. Um, honorable mention, by the way, the game, the Hawks were down three, one in that series. The game before that in L.A., Kane had just a dagger of a goal late to force game seven. But again, they lost the series, so I won't get into into that one um, too much. Let's see. I, you know, that one was on my list, too. But for the sake of getting into more moments, I'm going to I'm going to expand it a little bit here. Okay. Um, this one's probably going to be your number one, I would imagine. Right, no, I'm going to go with a different one first. Um, it was 2012. No, I think it was 13. It was 13. 12 or 13, I don't remember. Um, but it was one of the three or four years in a row where the Hawks played the Wild in the playoffs. Uh-huh. And it was game six. I want to say it was a year they won a cup. It was game six, um, overtime. Hawks were up three to two in the series. And Minnesota had been play- playing pretty well. I-, I would give you a bunch of money if you could tell me who Patrick Kane's center was during this uh, during this game at this moment. Oh, man. But it was overtime against the Wild. I think it was still Nicholas Backstrom. And one one, Kane came. Kane came down the middle of the uh, came down the slot, and in just the tightest space possible, <laughs> grabbed the puck, flipped it to his backhand, and I guess I'm all three of my goals here have a theme. Flipped it to his backhand and just absolutely roofed one into an open net to go mm-hmm. ahead and, and eliminate the Wild and end their and their playoff hopes yet again. Was um, it but, kind of like? Did he kind of like get stuck in like the high slot? Like he was kind of. St- like he wasn't moving when he took the shot. He yeah, he was kind of more gliding up, uh, like gliding up, and he got himself to the top of the crease and just kind of flipped one to his back, like yeah, forehand, backhand, really quick in such a tight amount. Like there were, it wasn't one of these where he comes down the side and has a ton of room. He was crowded as hell. There were people all the way all the way around him. Flips it to his backhand, absolutely roofs it, end the series. And that was the fact that the Minnesota Wild never got us. Um, that made me happy because they were. <laughs> They were all like the blues were little brother, but like the wild were youngest brother. Like they never really had a chance. Yeah. Youngest brother was such a big hockey complex. So it was good yeah. to save them off at least. Um, 
my number what are we on the number two number two, two moment um it's hard to you can't construct a list without it and it's not my number one um for personal reasons but uh, i think i know your number one 2010 winner in philly mm-hmm. um I, I don't know again like i've spent these last couple of days trying to draw big themes around these moments and to look back at the winner and the way it was uh in doubt by everybody except patrick kane that was kind of where we were at with patrick kane like he had he had given us reasons to doubt his uh, standing as a professional. He had come under fire for a number of different things, whether they were accusations, whether they were real, whether whatever the case mm-hmm. was, it was, there was a lot of doubt around Patrick Kane and for him to put a championship into the Chicago trophy case for the first time in a long time, since I think it was what, since 2005 at that point. And if you want to yeah. say that that's only a half a city championship for the first time since 85, yeah, um, Nine, 97 uh, or 98 98 who's 98 bulls, bulls 98 excuse me i'm, uh, yeah, completely, I'm completely disregarding basketball as a sport. can't forget that little dynasty um, they had there yeah i can't can't forget six between but for a city that had not seen one in some time um and the doubt that maybe was cast around patrick kane for the goal to end a season and to hoist the stanley cup to come with that same air of doubt for a moment felt like mm-hmm. uh almost in a way that uh, it, it was poetic in a sense of, of how he put one in the trophy case for us, but uh, never a doubt from Patrick, Patrick Kane, the gloves were off. Uh, he was hugging. Um, was it anti Niemi at the other end? He was hugging oh, yeah. Niemi and, uh, and before Niemi was even ready to take the mask off. And it's a, it's one that will be no matter what happens in the history of Chicago sports. If, if the bears go on a 10 year dynasty and we win seven of the next 10 super bowls, if the, when the bears bulls, go on a 10 year, dynasty, if the bulls, if the bulls win another six and eight years, if, if the Cubs and Sox uh, go back to back subway series and we each win one, it does not matter. 2010 Hawks in Philly against Chrissy Pronger, that will always have its moment. That will always have its space in the trophy case. And it's one it, it's one that we will always remember for Patrick Kane jumping with his hands in the air, skating back down the ice, and no one really sure of what what had just happened. I hope he brings back the playoff mullet in New York. <laughs> I really do, because this reminded me of his playoff mullet. Um, I'm going to change up the list a little bit here because I do. there's one that I have to get to, and I feel like I already talked about Kane against the Lightning, and that's kind of where this would have came in. Um, but I think we're going to have our one and two flip flop so we can just kind of go into talking about them together here. My number two is, is Nashville, uh, yep. in t- 2010. That's my, not number only in right. We are both in the building, I believe. Yep. Um, second loudest I've ever heard that building in my life. Not only was that goal massive in the landscape of the series, because you know, the, the Hawks were going to go down three, two and have to go back to Nashville. The importance of that goal in the landscape of this dynasty, yep. it it probably doesn't happen if that goal doesn't get scored. Because 2010, obviously remember the 2011 offseason, they had to make excuse me, um, some cat like they were right up against the cap. We talked earlier about the Rangers being right up against the cap this year. The Hawks were in like negative cap space going to that offseason. They had a ton of tough decisions to make. They made them. And if you come up short again and you don't have that Stanley Cup, 
Kane and Taves deals were up. You had to extend them. Maybe you make a few different roster decisions. Maybe you make Maybe you send off some different people than you do, and you don't really know what exactly ends up happening. The dynasty probably doesn't. Ha- do they get a cup without that goal? Probably somewhere along the way, sure. But three and six seasons doesn't happen without Martin Erat throwing the most dumb no look pass back into the slot. The, the puck coming loose, <laughs> Hawks taking the run the other way, and Kane getting in the backhand in front. Like the the run doesn't happen without that goal. So if if you watch that video back, he is standing alone at the mouth of the net for what feels like a minute ever. and a half. He's just standing there, and while it's not like the most spellbinding or uh, or impressive goal in Patrick Kane's Blackhawk career, I could, I don't know, maybe it's because we were in the building. For me, it's the second most important goal that he's ever scored at a Blackhawk. I I completely agree with you. I don't think it's because we were in the building. I think if you ask Hawks fans who aren't, I, that I mean, goal meant everything. Like that down, that, that was down the Hawks man. year. Host is, yeah. host is sitting in the box on what was it a double minor? The five minute major. Five minute. He was sitting in the box on a five minute major. I mean, obviously, we know how it comes to pass in overtime. They kill off the penalty. He comes out, uh, misdirected shot down around the down around the mouth of the goal. Hosted. That's it. Was it Sopel with the misdirected shot? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Um, but just to get to that moment, it required Patrick Kane being in the right place at the right time and doing exactly what his team needed of him and. Man, if that isn't uh, if that isn't one of my favorite moments in any arena, um, that was a super special day with with a group of super special people, and it kind of came together last minute. Us going to the game and driving from Bloomington and mm-hmm. being there for that moment and being in standing room only and the ceiling shaking. And oh yeah, it was uh, it was it was special, and um, it's how I will you know the uh, the. The Philadelphia moment is one that we all share. The Nashville moment feels like it's ours a little bit. You yeah. know, it feels like it got, and I know there were 22,000 other people in that stadium and millions other watching, but that one kind of feels like it belonged to us a little bit. Yeah. I know, I know, I know exactly what you mean. So I think with that, Matt, uh, it is thank you and farewell to 88, a number that will soon hang in the rafters at the Madhouse, but. From the madhouse to the Mecca, uh, I wish I wish the young man nothing but success in this run. I already have my York. ticket. I already have my Rangers Cup ticket. I sent it to you Saturday night. There you go. Um, and hopefully he can do for that city what, uh, what he did for us as well and bring them back and give them something that they've longed for for a very long time. So uh, you, you, you treat him well. You treat him well, New York. And uh, I already uh, I already owe somebody dinner when, when a couple weeks ago when this he was, was all kind of that. No, no, no. This was all sort of bubbling to the surface. I mm. said, because uh, I, I work with a bunch of Ranger fans, yeah. you know, the first one of you to come in here with an authentic, officially licensed number 88 uniform in with Kane on the back and yeah. Rangers on the front gets free dinner from me. And uh, I just got a picture from one of our PAs that uh, from like his, his order of confirmation for his Kane uniform. So I love that. I, I owe a dinner and uh, and. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're all aboard the Rangers bandwagon. I, I'm a Rangers guy. Treat him well. I swear to tell everybody in your newsroom <laughs> that I said if they don't treat him well, I'm personally going to come down there, have you buzz me in, and I'll well, have done the riot act. I did a segment when uh, when it went official, and uh, I don't know. It was Alan May, who longtime 
uh, NHL player who does pre and post for the Capitals now for NBC Sports Washington or NBC Sports DC, whatever it is, does a bunch of hockey stuff with us as well. And I did the segment with him. And the way I said goodbye was um, something along the lines of like, as someone who celebrated three summers or as someone who was given three summers of celebration by the great 88, uh, it's a massive thank you to Patrick Kane and a hearty you're welcome to every single one of you New York fans. So uh, say, say you're, say you're welcome to all your Ranger friends when you see them. Um, but Matt, it, it, I don't know, it, as I try and find big picture parallels, uh, the end of an era there is also an end of an era here. Uh, sadly, this is the final Moose and Runes podcast in this iteration. Um, I hope that uh, it finds new legs and new life beyond me and uh, that I can come on and be a, a reoccurring guest. Um it will at some point. We don't know yet. I've talked yeah. to a few people about what to do. Um, it's, it's, it'll definitely take a little bit of a hiatus here. Um, got need, need some time with my, my job's getting busier as, uh, as well, too. So we'll take a little bit of time away. Also, with the downtime in the sports season, there's just, you know, we'll always be a golf pod, but you can only get so many, uh, so many minutes of conversation out of the Honda Classic on a week-to-week <laughs> basis. And so the Bulls it. just make me sad. I want um, to, uh, we'll get to before- something. Yeah, before we uh, before we punctuate this uh, this era of the Moose and Runes podcast, you know our big you kind of allude to it there. We're a golf pod. We always have been. We're a mm-hmm. bear pod. We always have been. And I think before we say goodbye to the pod, uh, offer maybe just a desire, a hope, a wish, a thought for each one of those places. Um, let's start with let's start with the PGA tour let's start with tiger i mean we got a glimpse of it uh, a couple weeks ago at the this um maybe we get to see it again here at the players i'm not positive mm-hmm. we know we should see it at augusta but um you know i, I think it would only be right that before we say goodbye we we offer a tiger and a bear thought here i don't know if yeah. you wanted to take it that I like direction that. i love it uh I mean, my tiger thought stay healthy uh um, yeah let that let like the leg looked healthy. or what I don't know if you say now it's more the ankle, whichever it is. He looked better in the Genesis. Uh, did he look, he's never going to look right, but he looked better in the Genesis than he did rounds two, three, and four at Augusta than he did at the PGA. He looked healthier. He looked like a guy that, you know, was able to withstand four straight days of walking on that. And I know we're not going to get Tiger back to being, you know, the greatest golfer on the face of the planet. Again, we're not, we're not going to get that level of play from him anymore, but if he can stay, you know, relatively healthy and keep that leg, you know, keep working on that leg, keep it in good enough shape. We can get Tiger Woods for, you know, a few more good years here. And I know he's not the guy that's going to stick around and play at the Masters till he's 60, but there's still some decent golf left in there. And we saw that at the Genesis. We saw it with, you know, his mind games with Justin Thomas and, and Rory on that, the, uh, what was it, Thursday and Friday? Like the guy's still got it. And if that leg can hold up for him, we bought ourselves, or I should say he bought himself uh, a few more years of, of Tiger Woods on the golf course competitively. Yeah, I think that's sort of in the same vein as my thought here and that it is just win again. And I, I always said, and we always say, we'll be the last ones off the Tiger bandwagon and we'll always believe in his ability to win. And we say those things, but maybe the truth behind it wanes a little bit. And what we saw at the Genesis, uh, I think, reinvigorated that idea in my head that he could someday win again, because I I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've been through Mm -hmm. when you beat all but two golfers on a golf course on Saturday in a stacked field. 
that lets me know that you can play with those guys. Now, can yeah. you extrapolate that? Can you carry that for four days and win a tournament? We're going to see. Um, and hopefully we do get to see him in those moments again. But I truly believe that that man could win again on on the PGA Tour. If he did it in 2019, mm-hmm. he, he owes us nothing else. But that also is the admission that in the face of even self-doubt, I, I can get this done. So I, I think win again would be my final thought there uh, on Tiger Woods. Not only did he do that on you know on that Saturday, but he did it at a course that's seen as one of the more difficult stops on tour that he historically has, has not, not played, played all well that great at. Yeah. at. He's, that's one of the few courses I believe he's never won at, and it's been a course that's given him problems. And he finished what T twenty, and like you said on Saturday, he was one of the best players when you know the course sets up to be pretty difficult. So the fact that he was able to do that, I mean, who knows at, and I, I, I keep going back to the storybook ending of Augusta, but like, that's of course he knows better than anybody on the face of the planet. Who knows what happens if he's got his swing one weekend and he's navigating himself around Augusta. You just never know. I forget who the uh, journalist was that said it in the, uh, in the documentary piece, I believe that HBO did. And uh, it was it came right after the female thought of, you know, I always wanted to be there with Tiger on Sunday at the Masters, standing in his group trying to win. And then it cuts to the journalist. I forget his name, but he says, the fuck you do. So, you know, <laughs> like, just let's just get him in one of those. The fuck you do moments. Yeah. Again. Like, see to see who in the world really can stand eye to eye with Tiger Woods. And if he still has that effect on people the way he did as recent as 2019. So, um, Matt, I, I, I continually say it to people that if I had two sporting wishes, if I was granted two wishes, wish number one would be a Chicago Bears Super Bowl, wish number two would be Tiger winning another major. And that mm-hmm. remains my wish list. Uh, let's go to the top of my wish list here uh, as the Bears embark on a very important stretch of reconstruction with the first overall pick. Uh, being offered, let's say, a new layer here with the Jalen Carter news that came out a day ago. I think that yeah. it, it always uh, hurts the Bears, and I think it limits them to. Uh, I think it limits them to trading only with the Houston Texans, which obviously um, costs us a little leverage. Um, now, I think the going right there, if if Houston wants the first pick, is just it's going to have to be the second overall pick in next year's first. But I think that that's all it is at this point because there isn't that idea of well. You know, Indianapolis wants this pick. Well, do you really want to move back to number four and have to make the decision of whether you want a guy who could go to jail for misdemeanor offenses for a short amount of time? So it definitely offers a layer there. But um, I think what this does for them is obviously you need to uncover the full story with Jalen Carter, see what happens there legally before you you know even think about consider drafting him. But the the whispers of well the the bears could trade the first pick sooner rather than later i think just probably went away unless they get totally blown away by a team like the colts yeah you now need to take your time you need to let everything develop and you hold on to that pick until you know mid april or whatever the hell it is and kind of give yourself as much time to get as much information as you can it also comes down to how much you you like tyree wilson or how much you think the Arizona Cardinals might fall in love with Tyree Wilson because with where we were last year, Aiden Hutchinson was the no-brainer number one pick going to the Jaguars, and then the more time went on, I've, with Trayvon Walker, his name kept climbing up and climbing up, and it seems a lot like last year that Tyree Wilson might be the Trayvon Walker of this draft, not necessarily go number one, but all of a sudden you might see him jump up some draft boards and maybe even go ahead of Will Anderson. So I think yeah. that's something maybe you keep an eye on and hope for too. 
Yeah. Um, big picture here, though, if we're saying uh, thank you and goodbye to the podcast, that's uh, I think there's some uh, unresolved emotion around the Chicago Bears, and there always will be. Um, this has been probably my more than yours uh, safe space to, to mm-hmm. let it all out. Oh, well, mine too. You, I let yeah, you but, go but, a little but bit I think, more, but mine too. But I, yeah, I think you. Uh, I think you operate a little closer to uh, course to, to even par, uh, <laughs> where where I could make a where I could make an eight or a double eagle at any moment. Uh, if we want to take it back to the golf, <laughs> I'm a little bit more volatile on the scorecard when it comes to my Chicago Bears. Speaking um, of that, I do have a fun mailbag from a uh, from friend of the pod, Rob Gallick, but we'll get to that later after this. Okay, okay, um, but yeah, I think that um, this is. I'm thankful to be saying goodbye to the podcast with an air of hope around my franchise. And now a lot needs to happen for that hope to be uh, fulfilled and for success to come to fruition. But uh, I, I I hesitate to say I love where we're at as a franchise because we are selecting first overall in the NFL Mm -hmm. draft and that uh, comes with its, uh, its shortcomings. But um, I'm thrilled to see what this team looks like next year and the year after. Uh, I'm thrilled to see what Justin Fields can be because I wholeheartedly believe in that young man. I'm thrilled to see what this front office can put around him. I'm thrilled to see what happens on April 27th. I'm thrilled to see us be a team that year over makes the biggest change and makes the playoff next year because yeah. we're, how uh, how close were we in so many games this year? I'm thrilled to see everybody shut up about my team because it seems like for the last however long we have been through the Mitch Trubisky years now to the drafting of Justin Fields to passing up on Patrick Mahomes we have been the butt end of the joke and I feel like we are so close to standing there and being able to say where's the joke now yeah because how often do you have the first overall pick and a quarterback you believe in at the same exact time that's where I'm at I don't know how how I don't know how much other people believe in Justin Fields, but if you're not if you're not on board, I don't know what you're watching. Um, I am I'm excited to be a Bear fan, and I'm excited to see what this team can accomplish over the next couple of years. Yeah, it's you know for for how many five six years however long we've been doing this, we covered some really fucking bad, depressing Bears football. <laughs> we really did, um, and I'm happy that it seems like we're finally getting to this place where we're going to be in a position to do that. My wish for the Chicago bears, obviously I want the team to be successful. I want the general manager. I want the coach to be successful. And I think they're going to be, I think they got the right people in place. My wish for Chicago bears football is for Justin Fields to just shut everybody up. Everybody outside who says he can't throw, who says he can't stay healthy, who says he's not the guy who says the bears should trade him and take Bryce young. My, my wish is for Justin Fields next year and the year after and you know the next 10 to 15 years, hopefully, to shut everybody up and prove he's, everybody wrong. To be the he's reason. He's the MVP next year. Ex- to he's, be the he's reason the MVP why. next year. It wouldn't shock me. He was that. I'm, I mean, I'm there already. I, 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 let's look at some odds. Let's take it. 40 to 1, I believe. Flyer. 40 I'm to in. 1, and Caesar Sportsbook is taking a lot of money. Out I was going to say, though, that so there are going to be. There are quiet believers who love to who love to just lob insults at the Bears because it's yeah. easy to do. But that number's going to be 25 to 1 by, you know, by the time camp rolls around because money's going to start coming in. The roster's going to improve. And play, people are going to be like, well, he can put it all together. He, you know, was flashes last year. So that number is going to get better. So I would take that now. But yeah, that's that's my wish is obviously I want to see a Super Bowl. 
I want to see this be the, the, the regime that takes the Bears back, and I really do think they're taking all the right steps to do that. But you can't do it without number one being the guy. So my, my wish is that number one shuts everybody up, and he is the guy. I, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, uh, one last time, it's it's a bear down here from the Moose and Runes podcast. Matt, do you want to – If the Bears ever win a Super Bowl, we're coming back for a bonus episode. You How better about believe that? it. You better believe I'm on the we're coming. We'll do a preview. We'll do a Super Bowl preview. We'll do a Super Bowl reacts. Hell, maybe maybe Joe will fly in. We'll go to the parade together. Who knows? You but better – You Bowl, come on. We're doing that. Like I'm not going to have boots on the ground at the – That's a fair parade. point. That's a fair point. Um, um, I do have two quick mailbags though for you before we get out of here. The, the, get into two, it, and it's fitting who they come from. First one, we're a golf pod, and we are a football pod, and those are our two mailbag questions. They're, they come from probably our two most mailbag sending listeners. Parker Carroll wants a Masters pick and long shot. Putting you on the spot here. We haven't looked at many odds. I'll give you a few seconds if you want to pull up a yeah. Let me pull, pull up, up the a odds, sports actually. book or two. But I, I like that. We we need a we, we need to give our give the people some picks because that's. And we're we're a month out. Um, you know where I'm going to be for the Masters, Joe? Are you going to be? You're going to be. You're playing somewhere. You're going back. I to, am somewhere fun. You're going back to Scotland. No, that's not Pebble for a Beach. While. We'll be at Pebble Beach. You're, yeah, yeah. You're going to be, at be Pebble, Pebble Beach for the Masters, so it's fine. It's whatever. Well, I'm sure you can find a TV with it on there as well. Yeah, I don't think it'll be much of a problem. Um, um, all right, I got the odds up here, so I'm going to take oh, some looks. Uh, this time, Tiger Woods is 36 to one. I want him to be my long shot. I know this is I don't want to sound chalky, but like I'm picking John Rahm. I talked to. about it on this podcast so many times and I, I don't want to be the guy who just takes the favorite right now on FanDuel. At least that's where I'm up. Him and Rory are co-favorites at seven and a half to one. But mm-hmm. there's no one in the world playing better golf than John Rahm right now. And he seems like he's on more of a mission this year than I've ever seen him. Mm-hmm. I think part of him is I don't want to say rub the wrong way, but like over the last year or so, Rory has kind of become the face of the tour and Justin Thomas has become one of the voices of the tour. And I think deep down, Ron wants to be a little bit like, well, I'm actually the best player here. And I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder because John Ron loves having a chip on his shoulder and he plays better that way. So I think he tries to find one. I got John Ron winning the Masters. One of Parker's questions too, is there anyone that can win two majors this year? I think John Ron can absolutely win two majors this year. Yeah, I think the implied odds of him winning are far better than his 7-1 to one right now. So there's a ton of value there because he has set his floor so high that, yeah. and we're likely to see it this weekend at API that even when he doesn't have his stuff, it's a top 10 finish. Um, so to know that he could not waste the day, but to know that he could struggle through a day or two and still be there on Sunday, that makes that seven to one a really, really interesting value proposition. Yeah. I, I hate to do this with our last pick. That is also, you can't not, if you're holding tickets for the Masters, you can't not have John Rahm at seven to one on your ticket. Like you have mm-hmm. to have that. So that's going to be my favorite for my long shot. And now, can we define long shot as 20 to one or longer? Is I that, always thought, we, I, we, uh, sure, let's go 20 to one or longer. Okay. I'm going Morikawa 22 to one. I'm that was, the, that was Max- the name I saw too in like. I'm one. interested in Max Homa at 22 to one as well, but I'm saving him for us open LACC. He plays so well in Los Angeles. He feels like he's got unfinished business from Genesis. He's going to have the crowd there with him. So I like Max at the us open. There's a bonus for you, but uh, Colin Morikawa 22 to one, the ball striking we know will be there. The driving we know should be there. 
Um, it's no longer this idea at Augusta where you have to be a drawer of the ball to win. Like you don't have to work it right to left. You can still yeah. work it left to right. You just have to put yourself in the proper positions. I think he has the game plan now. I think he's got the blueprints of what it takes. It's a matter of can you hit the putts and is the wind going to lay down? Because when it gets windy, Morikawa struggles. And mm -hmm. I know that doesn't make sense because he's an open champion, but it didn't blow at the open championship that year. He's a, he's a dome golfer. And I think that if we get good conditions at Augusta, 22 to one Morikawa is a really nice ticket. I'm going to take DJ at 29. Um, Fuck you. Why? Because you're a sympathizer. I'm not a sympathizer. You're I just a live think that, sympathizer. I'm not a live sympathizer. I That's prefer the PGA Tour. I do think it's funny now that the PGA Tour is did going you, to no Did you watch events. a lot of the CW this past week? Did you see what form DJ's in? I did not. I haven't. I didn't watch a, really a second of it. He probably hasn't hit a small bucket in the last year. This guy is... This guy is logged out, um, but go on. I don't know. I just think there's part of me that he's going to want to show up in majors. And I think at 29 to one is a guy who's won there. And I know still a few years ago, but not too far in the recent past who did it in the most dominant fashion. Someone's done it in at a 20 under par. Granted, it was in the fall, not the spring. I think there's still something there. I still think he's got something in the tank. And I, I think for these majors, he's going to care a lot more about than he does at I don't think he gives a shit about live golf. I think he yeah. likes getting the paycheck and yeah. I don't think he cares all that much about winning those events. But I do think when the masters comes around, I do think there's still that ability to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder and show that he's got it. Like he did in the Ryder cup when he was just the most dominant player in the world, went five and zero or whatever the hell it was. I'm, uh, uh, I'm really excited to see what the leaderboard looks like on Sunday. Like, because that's going to be an obvious conversation of they got to like, do some early mashups of of live and PGA guys, right? Like they're definitely going to. But that. I'm saying in terms of like the if you have two live guys within three shots of Rom's lead on the final mm. round, it's going to have such a like a Sunday singles U.S. Yes. versus like it's going to have like almost like a Ryder Cupy us versus them. We got to root for these four guys and against mm -hmm. those four guys, or at least that's the way I'll likely view it. Um, but uh, it'll never happen, but man, a Ryder cup type event between live and the PGA would be so fun. The PGA would win, but like, it'd be fun. It'd be fun to watch. It'd be a blast. I just, uh, I'm excited to have everybody while this weekend and the elevated events have been amazing displays of golf with big names all over leaderboards. Like I think we have 44 of the top 50 in the world this weekend. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be really nice to say everybody's here, you know? Yeah. Um, and we're going to get to say that what four times this year. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and then the last mailbag goes to a uh, friend of the show, associate producer of the show, Rob Gallick, probably our most – now Mark Schanowski is our most recurring guest. Um, what was the better Joe Musso quarterback take, Justin Herbert being a bust or Kyler Murray never winning six games in a season? Both of them are kind of – wait, 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 wait. Both of them are kind of still right. Okay, yeah. I know Kyler. Well, Kyler, won. Kyler is the definition of wrong. He's once. I know. No, 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 no. But hear me out here. Like <laughs> that was the figure of speech. Like you took it. Literally. I know. I you know. took the six games. The I, I'm, I'm reading a mailbag here, Joe. I, I did not take anything literally. I'm reading a mailbag question. Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> it, fine, fine. But if you want to, if those are the two takes you want to hold me to the fire to, I will happily sit in that boiling water because Kyler ain't shit. And Herbert has yet to prove it. I, I I will step off of my Herbert take. I will not step off of my Kyler take. I my think, Herbert take. I think that's correct, by the way. 
I Herbert do. is a Herbert is, is a far more competent NFL quarterback than I ever thought he would be already. And I think mm-hmm. that he can be very successful as an NFL quarterback when surrounded with the right things. I still have character questions about him. I, I, he, I still put him in the Trevor Lawrence pool of leads by example. I need you to lead with your voice too, as my quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's not that now. Has he been insulated with talent? Yes. Has he been insulated with good coaching? Probably not. Brandon Staley's put him in some yeah. interesting situations. But what was my statement about? Just like give me the exact statement about Herbert. Herbert? Oh, you just yeah. said he's going to be a massive bust. That okay, one, not, Tyler, you had a mass- specific like six games he'll never win. Herbert was just you went on a rant that the Chargers drafted him. Okay. I, I, my final words on the podcast here will be amending those two takes. <laughs> Justin I, Herbert will continue to disappoint at the NFL level. Now, I know that makes him relative to expectation. Justin Mm -hmm. Herbert will disappoint at the NFL level because we're heading into year five, year four, year five, year four. Mm -hmm. Four, And he's shown shown flashes of doing everything you want in a quarterback on a field. We don't have the wins yet. And I'm not even saying a Super Bowl. I'm not saying uh, get me to an AFC championship. I'm saying... Win a playoff. Get to the playoff. Get to the playoffs. Win a playoff game. Be feel like the dude. Um, have not felt that. So Justin Herbert will continue to disappoint. Will be my amendment there. And my amendment to my Kyler Murray statement is: Kyler Murray will never win six games as a starting. <laughs> Kyler Murray <laughs> will never win a playoff game as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Period. Yeah. Period. The end. End of story. It kind of seems that way. He's just and like I'm not uh, like I know I've come off as a Kyler Murray hater. I'm not a Kyler Murray hater. This is more of like a, I'm right. Tell me I was right. Like that, that's the energy I'm trying to give off here that I looked at the quarterback. I looked at the prospect. Yes. You have your Heisman. I looked at the attitude and Oh, look at all of these things coming to fruition that I may have pointed to back then. Now he has won six games as a starter. Yeah. He has maybe, uh, he has been better than I no, expected. No doubt we're, we're Rob's taking a victory lap on a technicality here. No doubt about and, it. But. And I'll give it to him and I'll give it to him, but I will amend that statement and say, Kyler Murray will never win a, a playoff game as a starting quarterback. I love it. I love that. So, that's- so next, so next season when he comes back from the ACL and takes his team to the NFC championship game, I will also come on the pod. We'll have an emergency pod. Correct. Emergency pod. He'll never win a Super Bowl. Correct. Oh, oh fun goodness. stuff. Well, that's Matt, uh, that's about that's all I it? got, buddy. You got it. You got, anything, you got anything more? No, just a just a just a thank you to you, man. And I know I say it uh, around every corner, but uh, you have been a blast to do this with. You have been uh, amazing in getting this out to the people on a weekly basis, in dealing with my schedule, in dealing with my brain. Um, all that of one's it, by and, far and, the uh, more difficult one. The brain the thing, brain, yeah, it's the brain. The brain. But and I got, I got, I've had experience in that since high school, so I kind of knew how to deal. That's with That's true, it. and I know, Matt. I know we do go way back, but um, I, I think it's fair to say that this podcast has brought us closer than, than uh, any of our experiences through sports or through school or whatever it may be, and uh, that's what I'm going to miss most. So don't uh, don't get too far away from me. I, I'm still a, an honorary Rooney cousin. I still want invites to golf. You'll uh, still trips. get invites. We're going back to Palm I, Springs, by the way. Well, you you get your boy on the line. That's all I'm we're saying. Back to Palm, and, uh, hey, well, maybe, maybe we'll record an, we'll record another Palm Springs pod when we're out there. We'll have to <laughs> we'll have to bring the lost episode to life. But no, it's all it's all sort of anchored to the idea of thank you and I love you and uh, I appreciate you for all that you've done over this last five six years in uh, in making this what it was and also 
making uh, making me what what I am too. Because this, I, we started doing this, and my personal goal was to um, really work on those muscles of ad lib and work on those muscles of being able to talk about things that you're not necessarily closest to or most comfortable with. And, um, you know, this, this podcast has made me better at what I do for a living as well. So uh, a, a big thank you in that vein as well. Yeah. And no, I, I want to thank you for, you know, everything you've done for it as well and being as flexible as you have. I mean, you've, I mean, shit, we followed you pretty much. Did we start this in Nebraska when you were in Nebraska? We started this, or were we started you still this in school? Lincoln, Nebraska. We started this in Lincoln, Nebraska with a camera on my shoulder mm-hmm. uh, when I was on I the I still news. remember seeing you at the, was it the Lincoln whatever baseball game? I think you had your, your camera on your shoulder. You had a, a microphone yep. in your hand setting little up the shot for little, everything. Little, and... little salt dog baseball. Um, oh, that was a great game. That was a, lot, that was was, a fun time. We started this before I was even on the sports side. But when I was Yeah, you were just news. news. Yeah, no, this is... Uh, so we followed your career and it's been a pleasure to see you start from uh, one camera on your shoulder to uh, mucking it up with Rory McIlroy at the waste management. So it's, it's a, it's a testament to how far you've come. And uh, yeah, like you said, we've all, we've, we've known each other for a long time um, since, since you were calling me Garfield in the dugout and baseball games at Fenwick. <laughs> and uh, this podcast has definitely brought us closer together, made us uh, better friends. And I think the thing I'm going to miss and miss the most about it is like, it's just a fun time to be a sports fan and have an outlet. Like we started this, I don't really know what the intention was when we started it. Maybe it was to, you know, get a sponsor and sell it or, you know, do something like that. But the more time went on, it really just became like, shit, man, the bears suck. And I just want to go fucking rant to somebody about it. And (laughs) you, I could tell you felt the same way. And honestly, the more, the higher you climbed with at CBS, like the more you needed that outlet because the higher you <laughs> climbed, the more professional you had to become and you had to be right. buttoned up on the air. You had to ask Bryant McFadden the, the even keel question, not get mad about it. And it was fun having this outlet once a week to just absolutely blow a lid on Matt Nagy being a dumbass or the Bears making the wrong move or Stan Bowman trading Artemi Panarin, whatever the hell it was. Um, it, it was fun to just have that outlet to get things off your chest and be a fan. So I didn't have to sign up for Twitter blue and have, you know, 500 character tweets about how pissed off I am. Well, you could still call me. We just can't record it anymore. Yeah. Um, I'll secretly and, uh, record. I just won't tell you. <laughs> yeah. Those are, those are personal files. I'll secretly record it. We'll just call it the runes podcast. No, 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 it's, it's fine. Um, It'll be fine. Uh, and while we, wax poetic about one another also a big thank you to those who listened um we know we have listeners that listen to every single one we know we have uh, certain folks that stop in every once in a while but to all of you um a massive thank you uh for you know feeling like making us feel like we were talking to somebody and whether that was our best friends our family members whoever it was thank you to you guys thank you to anyone who's appeared on the podcast who's come on and offered their thoughts and their talents um huge thanks to the dave kaplan's and the mark Janowski's and the pat Boyles and the uh you know i'm gonna i'm gonna leave names off here but yeah. um to all that came on and uh offered their expertise as well thank you to you guys thank you to the listeners matt first and foremost and also lastly thank you to you i love you pal uh and for one last time say goodbye to the people later may god give you for every storm a rainbow for every tear a smile for every care a promise and a blessing in each trial i swear i've seen a lot of stuff in my life but that was awesome.
Chicken on the steak was phenomenal.